You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. As we were worshiping today, I sensed the Spirit of God say, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I believe that He wants me to tell you, this church, that He is going to take you to a higher level of freedom. Greater levels of freedom, greater levels of victory, greater levels of joy are on your way. Hallelujah. I believe even today may be a breakthrough. And so uh, be expecting, be believing, and I believe you'll be receiving. How many people would like to experience greater success, greater victory, greater joy? I mean, Jesus paid the whole price for it, but we have to appropriate it. We have to learn how to move into it by faith and lay hold of it. And I know that God wants you to have all that He has paid that great price for on the cross at Calvary. And so today we're going to be in the book of uh, James chapter 4. And I want to give you three keys for lasting deliverance. You know, I've seen a lot of people get a measure of deliverance and do good for a little while and then fall away. Working with people, we have a ministry called Set Free that's under our covering. I don't oversee it personally, but I oversee the guy that does. And uh, over the 30 years, working with addicts, Gerald May said in his book, in addiction and grace. We are all addicts in some form of the sense. And I say that is true before we get saved, before we get delivered, before we get set free. Because we all seek pleasure to avoid pain. You know? And, and even, uh, even after you're saved, you can find yourself trying to find a little comfort in some food. That's why we call it comfort food. Or, or you... Uh, my wife makes killer pudding, I tell you. And, uh, uh, well, I, but I help, you know. Remember that commercial, Shake and Bake, and I helped? Yeah. You got to be as old as I am to remember that. But uh, I, she, I do the stirring. She puts all the ingredients in. She's the brains behind it. But, oh, is it good. But God has good things for us. He wants to, he wants to stir up some things in you. He wants to work some things in you. And so I came here today just to have a good time. You know, there was a little boy and his mother right at the entrance of Six Flags and he was whining and complaining and she looked down at him and she grabbed him and she says, she shakes him a little bit and she says, I brought you here to have a good time. Now we're going to have a good time. You know, and I believe God brought us here to have a good time and we're going to have a good time. Uh, The highest end of man is to uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And God has called us to learn to enjoy Him. So we need to lighten up a little bit. We need to open up to the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and flow in our lives. And so there's three things that we're going to look at for lasting deliverance because it doesn't do you any good to get set free and then go back and serve the devil again. And so James, in the book of James, chapter 4, we're going to look at two verses and then some of the context around those. James, chapter 4, and verse 7, not real complicated, but you know most of the Bible isn't. This is not rocket science. But it says, James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. Verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And it says, cleanse your hands, and it goes on and talks about the cleansing part. But we're going to focus on three, just three things today, and I'd like to give you three key words, because I believe if you can take these with you, you will have the ingredients for lasting deliverance in your life. The first one is submit. Everybody say submit. submit. The second one is stand. Stand. Let's say stand. Stand. And the, and the other one is seek. And if you learn to sit, uh, I mean, if you learn to, not sit, uh, if you learn to submit and stand and seek, then I believe you'll, you'll lay hold of your freedom. And not only will you lay hold of it, but you'll keep it. You'll keep it until Jesus comes. You know, and so we, we lay hold of those three things. I'm going to talk to you about how you lay hold of those because it's not automatic. You know, just because Jesus won the victory doesn't mean the victory is automatic for us. We have to press into it. Sometimes we have to pray into it. We have to lay hold of it, but we need to know how to do that. Yes. And when we were pastoring years ago uh, out, in North, uh, out in Arizona, I had a young man. He, was, oh, he, was, he, he played Christ in our passion play. And he seemed to be on fire for God. He came into the church. His, his parents were faith people. They were strong in the Word. And yet, he, he st his, his countenance started to change after about six, eight months. He started moving back. <laughs> he, was, he was a front row guy, and he was moving back to the back. And he was coming late and getting out early. And I knew something was wrong. I'll just call him Tom for sake of anonymity. But... But I knew something was wrong with Tom, so I got to him one Sunday and I said, Tom, I said, what's wrong? I know things are not going right in your life. And he said, he hung his down, he says, well, pastor, he says, I've fallen. I, I think I need some deliverance. And I said, okay. I said, why don't you come and see me this week? And he said, I, I do. I need counseling. I, and so I said, why don't you come over to my house? And he was working just a little ways from where I lived. And so he came over. And he sat down in my office that was in my home, and he, he uh, I, I asked him, I said, well, now, Tom, I said, are you really ready to be set free? Do you really want to be set free? And he said, well, yes, Pastor, I do. And I said, you're really serious? And he says, yes. And I said, okay. He, I said, you know, you need to, sub uh, I said, James 4, 7, you need to submit to God. You need to resist the devil. He said, I've been resisting the devil. And I said, but have you been doing drugs and trying to resist the devil? And he says, yes. And I said, see, you didn't get the first part right. Yeah. You didn't submit to God. Because in the submission to God comes repentance. And I said, you didn't submit to God. Uh, and therefore, because you're not really submitted to God, you don't have any power to resist the devil. So you've got to get to the place of really submitting to God so that you can have the power to resist the devil. And uh, that word submit, that word submit, hupo tasso, it means, hupo means under, and tasso means to order yourself under or align yourself or bring yourself under the order and the authority of God. So when you submit to the Lord, you put yourself under God's authority first, the, the authority of the word second, the authority of your pastor I would say third, because you got to also, some people say, oh boy, I, I, I submit to God. I love God. I'm submitted to God, but no man's going to tell me what to do. You know, oh, well, you're not really submitted then because 
You've got to be under his delegated authority if you're going to be under his authority because he has servants that he wants you to line up under. Not for any kind of weird controlling or anything like that, but for helping you and fathering you and nurturing you and developing you. And so I said, so the first thing we've got to do is get you submitted and so that when the enemy comes, you can be set free. And he said, he said, well, I, I believe I am submitting. I said, have you repented of doing the drugs? Well, yeah, I, I repent of it every day. But, it's, but I said, but you still keep doing them, don't you? And he said, yes. Uh, I, I said, well, I said, do you have any on you now? And he said, no. And I said, do you have any anywhere? And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, do you have any at home or do you have any out in your van? Well, yes. And I said, well, I said, if you're really serious about getting set free, because you know, a lot of people don't get set free because they're really not serious about getting set free. And so I said, if you're really serious about being set free, then go get those drugs and we're gonna flush them down the toilet. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, we're gonna flush them down the toilet if you're serious. If you're not serious, you're wasting my time and yours both, you can go. And he said, no, no, I'm serious. I said, go get the drugs. And he said, okay. But $200 worth? Couldn't I sell them to somebody else? I said, no, you don't want to mess somebody else up. And, and I, so I said, go get the drugs. So we flushed these $200 of crack cocaine down the toilet. And, uh, and I got him into real repentance and submission to the Lord. And then after he got really repented and submitted to the Lord, then we rebuked the devil out of his life, which you know, the, the, the rebuking the devil and getting rid of the devil is a pretty easy part, but it's keeping him out that's the hard part. And so, so where it says resist the devil, that in another version it says stand against the devil, because that's what it means you, to resist, you stand against the devil. And, and so I said, okay, now you're ready to go. I said, uh, you're, you're free, and now you'd be back in church, and you'd be back in the Word every day, and if you have any temptation, you call me, and we'll talk again, and, and I want to see you here next week, and I want you to learn these scriptures, and I, would give, I always give them homework. So, you know, if your pastors give you a little homework, that's a good thing. Don't get all rebellious and say, well, who are they? Uh, you need homework. Whenever you're going through counseling, whenever you're trying to be set free. And so... Uh, Tom went and he, he did that and he got back on track and he did real good. But over the years that we've seen many, many, uh, many, many people set free from bondage and addiction by just employing these three simple principles. Just, it works. But you know, a lot of people don't get deliverance because their repentance is not deep enough. Godly sorrow produces repentance not to be regretted, uh, that leads to salvation not to be regretted, but it's godly sorrow, you know? And I was praying over that scripture and I believe the Spirit of God says, godly sorrow is when I work on their heart and convict them of their sin and illuminate the goodness and the power and the glory and the ability of Jesus to set them free and I show them my heart regarding that sin, and, and I draw them to Jesus, not from Jesus. You know, uh, sorrow of the world, it says, produces death. Now, that sorrow is a sorrow that makes you feel all condemned and beat up, and God, you're not worthy, and you're not good enough, and, and, and you got to somehow earn your goodness as if you could, because we can't earn a thing. I operate on Philippians 3.3. 3. We are the circumcision. That means the covenant people of God 
who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. None whatsoever. The moment you move back over into any confidence at all whatsoever, you're moving into works righteousness, and you're back on the devil's territory, and he'll eat your lunch. And so you've got to go by the blood and the blood alone, and every day you need to live by the blood and submit yourself to the Lord fresh and anew by the blood, and, and get lined up with God and know that anything we do at all for the Lord is done by the power of the Holy Spirit and nothing of us. We are nothing. And so I just, uh, I just love that, 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 that passage because it brings so much freedom to submit to God. And that's the first thing. Now I looked, up, looked that up in the Weiss translation. Submit to God. And I like the way it says it better because it captures the tense of the Greek verbs and the true meaning of it. And it says, be subject with implicit obedience to God at once and once for all. Be subject, put yourself, and I like to think of it like this. It was like the Apostle Paul's Damascus Road experience in which when he hit the ground and he saw Jesus, his first words out of his mouth were, who art thou, Lord, and what wilt thou have me to do, Lord? He immediately submitted himself to God and he immediately uh, signed up. I'm here and I'm signed up for 100% submission and obedience to you, Lord, and service for your kingdom. And I believe that whenever we are submitted to God, that we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be given our, giving ourselves wholly to sacrificial obedience to the Lord it doesn't it say in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to do that? It says that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And I mean, I think that means every day we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, even moment by moment, and, and keep on surrendering. Surrender and keep on surrendering. Resist and keep on resisting. You see, because when God got a hold of me, He got a hold of me good. I was one of the... I, I was one of the best sinners there was. I was a good sinner, and I was making lots of sinner disciples. I was, uh, I was living the party life in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I won't tell you what all I did, but it was bad. And the Lord, I didn't get saved in a conventional way. I came home from work one day, and I laid down on the couch, and I was really tired but I wasn't stoned or drunk and I laid down and my spirit went up out of my body and Jesus was there and I just got a glimpse and he, he, he you, just, you just do whatever he wants it his will and, I, and he turned my head away from him and focused me on my body and that's a scary thing and he said you're going to hell and I said, Lord, I want another chance. He says, okay, I'll give you one more chance. And whoosh, I was back in my body. I got on my knees. I repented of my sin. I got my Bible down off the shelf that I haven't, hadn't looked at for years since I was a kid. And, and I started reading it and praying. And, and a lot of those addictions just started falling off. Amen. It just... And within a year, I was just radically and totally saved. And, and I went out and got myself one of those big family Bibles. <clears throat> oh, I was, you know, 
And of course I had the Bible on cassette. I'm pumping it in my brain. I've got my big family Bible. I didn't know you didn't carry a family Bible to church, you know. I just got the biggest Bible I could find with the biggest words and, and read the word and prayed for the power and went to church. And I thought everybody was wonderful, you know. And didn't, I was just a wonderful, wonderfully, radically saved, Holy Ghost, new Christian. And it was just great, you know. You start to later see a few of the little faults and flaws. And, other, and if, you, if, if you're not careful, you get into that trap of seeing people according to what they are in the flesh rather than who they are in the spirit. You know, but the Apostle Paul said, no, no man according to the flesh. So if it's a baby Christian or for somebody saved for 50 years, we need to look at everybody as blood bought and blood washed. And I believe in the equal importance of all ministers and ministries with order of authority but yet God values every person. Every one of you are a VIP. You're a very important person because God looked down the quarters of time and he saw through the cross, he saw you saved and redeemed and set free and delivered and living in victory for Jesus and getting other people saved, set free, delivered and, and, and living for Jesus as well. And so we submit to God and uh, we give ourselves totally and completely to him is the first step. A lot of people, as I said, their repentance is either not deep enough, their submission is not sincere enough, their resistance against the enemy might not be strong enough, um, or, or they don't believe enough, or they don't seek the Lord enough after they get set free. And we're going to look at those. Do you know, the Lord has been very, very good to us over the years. And we've seen Him do some many, many mighty, wonderful things. Yes. Um, if you'll look at that verse just before James 4, 7. You know, remember James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, Apostle James. Um, tradition has it by Josephus that he was stoned to death. And he, uh, his, his book most closely parallels the Beatitudes of any other book in the Bible. And, and so even though it's not word for word what Jesus said, he caught what his half-brother Jesus was teaching. And even though he didn't get saved until uh, a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus and the revelation flooded his life. Just like whenever Jesus came to me. I was doubting the existence of God. I, had let, I was a pre-med student in college, so I had let them kind of brainwash me, and I was questioning whether God was really, really real, and I was buying into evolution, which is what it is. And, uh, and, and I was going that route, and, and I, but I was hurting, and I, I had money, I had you know, all that the world had to offer, but I wasn't satisfied. And so I, I said, you know, God, I, is this all there is? 26 years old, and I'm saying, God, is this all there is? If you're really real, show me. Well, he did. And he saved me. But he set me free. But in a moment, whenever you have a revelation of Jesus, in a moment, everything becomes clear. Right. The moment I was back in my body, I said, if Jesus, uh, <laughs> if Jesus is real... And if my spirit can live separate outside my body, then there is life after death and there is a God and, there, and the Bible is true and, and everything that, that God has said in his word is true. And it all made sense. 
all in a moment. Evolution is out the window. Uh, any kind of agnostic thoughts were gone. I was totally set free from that. And that's the way God works when he brings revelation. And so here, I was meditating in the word. Go back to James 4. I was meditating in the word uh, this past a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, well, I'll look up that Greek word for more. It says, but he gives more. It said, let's go to verse 4 first. James 4, 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, James is very pointed, very powerful, but yet very practical in his message to what originally began as a message to the diaspora or the scattered Jews throughout the world because he was head of the Jewish branch of the known Christianity, head of the Jerusalem Council. And so he was concerned about them. But now that it's a part of canon of Scripture, it's for all of us Christians, we know. And it says adulterers and adulteresses. In other words, those who are seduced by the world and its system, whether it be the world's fads or, or trusting a system of the world more than we trust Christ. I believe that's spiritual adultery. If we trust science more than we trust Jesus. If we trust politics more than we trust Jesus, if we trust religion more than we're trusting Jesus, then we are into, we, we're being seduced by the world system. We be, we're becoming a friend of the world. And what happens when you become a friend of the world? You become an enemy of God. And it says here, he says, uh, you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So the moment that you go over to be a friend, it's kind of like you're playing for the Seattle Seahawks and you run over and start playing for the New England Patriots. You have betrayed your Lord, you have committed spiritual adultery, you're cheating on Jesus, and, uh, and God is not pleased with that kind of behavior. And, but yet, James also balances that out. He doesn't leave them in condemnation or guilt, because after he says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But then he says in the very next verse, he says, or do you not, he says, do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who works in us yearns with jealousy, who dwells in us yearns jealously. Now the King James says, lusteth to envy. Have you ever wondered about that? Now what's, what's the Holy Spirit doing? You know, because we think of lust in a negative sense. Uh, and it's apipotheo is the word, but the word actually, it, it means, uh, it's like uh, if a person has an addiction and say they, they're hooked on a drug or, a, or somebody's hooked on alcohol or eating too many chocolate donuts or whatever their problem is, uh, you, you know, they... They, uh, they, 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 when they don't have their drug of choice or their fix of choice, they start to have everything within them crying out for it. Wanting it, wanting it, wanting it. But when you use it in a positive sense, it's kind of like a young man has a girlfriend and he loves her very much and a foreign, uh, another guy comes in and starts trying to win her away. And he, he says, you know, I got to do something to stop this. I got to block this. I got to get that guy away from my girlfriend. And so he goes and he, he does whatever he needs to in order to get this guy away. Maybe, uh, who knows? But he, and to woo her back. 
And what this means in a positive sense is the Holy Spirit loves you so much that He wants to draw you back from whatever has seduced you. And I believe He'll work night and day on it. You know, you'll continue to be convicted. You'll continue to be convicted. You'll continue to be convicted. He'll, he'll work on you and work on you and work on you. You can keep turning your, you know, your heart can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, but He'll keep on working. You know. And then I looked at this uh, next verse, and I love this verse. He says, and He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Well, I looked up the word grace. I mean more. I looked up the word more. I know grace. And guess what it means? It's the Greek word mega. It's the Greek word mega. How many people know mega means big? Mega means real big. And it means abundant. And it means over the top. It means excessive. It means more than you can imagine no matter what kind of sin you're bound in, no matter what kind of addiction you have, no matter what the devil has done to draw you away from the love of your life, Jesus Christ, no matter how bound up you feel, no matter how depressed you are, no matter what your problem is, no matter what your situation or circumstance, God says, I will give you more grace than whatever it is that you're struggling with. I'll bring more grace to you than what that thing is. I'll break the power of it once and for all, set your heart totally free from it where you never want to go back to it again, and I will deliver you, hallelujah, once and for all. I know, when, I know that there's been things in my life that when I was really delivered from them, the desire was gone. He will take the desire. And how does he do it? By the grace of God. And why does he do it? Because he loves us so much. And is it because we're so good? No, not at all. It is because he loves us so much anyway. His love is bigger than our sin, bigger than our difficulty, bigger than our problem, bigger than our shame, bigger than any past situation or circumstance. His love is big. His love is big and his grace is very, very big. He's a very, very, very good God and a very, very, very loving God and a very compassionate God, a very kind and considerate God who really, really, really cares so much about us. He just, every hair on your head, he knows how many there are. And he's very, very much concerned about our struggler, struggles, our pain, our brokenness, our humanness. And he wants to lift us up out of whatever is keeping us down and set us free. He's a good, good God. He's a mega grace God. Everybody say mega grace. Mega grace. And I believe today you're going to get a dose of mega grace. Mega grace is coming. Mega grace. Mega anointing. The anointing comes by the Spirit. It's mega. It's big. And it's powerful. And so as we're submitted to God, and I believe we need to be sold out to God, and we need to be, if you're really submitted to God, then you start get, becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What I mean by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you learn to listen to your inner man. We had a little guy in our other church. Dr. Holler met him. His name is Jordan. He has another good story to tell about Jordan. But, but this one, Jordan was saved at four. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit at five. 
a remarkable young man. You could see there was a call on his life. Well, one day he and his little friend were playing in the backyard, and the mother told them not to go out of the backyard, and it was fenced in. So his little friend says, hey, let's go over to that other yard and uh, pet those dogs. And, and he said, no, uh, we're, we're not supposed to. And, and so the friend starts climbing over the fence. Little Jordan says, you know what? My inner man is telling me we're not supposed to do this. <laughs> He's already learning the difference between uh, the spirit and the soul. The Lord wants to take and divide between the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow and be the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart because the sword of the spirit is the word of God that yes. divides yes. between those two so that whenever you're listening to the to the Holy Spirit, you'll know what's part of your unregenerate soul that you need to say no to and what's part of your regenerated part of you that has been sanctified by the Lord that you need to say yes to and you learn how to be led by that. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I, that's a whole series. I got 10 messages on that, but uh, don't, I won't preach them today. You're okay. Uh, and, but God has been good. When you get submitted to God, you'll be a candidate for a miracle. Yes. We've seen so many miracles over the years. I think one of the first miracles that we saw was when we were out ministering to that, we planted a church among the Navajo Nation in northwest New Mexico, right out of Bible school. And we had a young woman that came, and we had medicine men and medicine women, you know, doing their Native American Indian incantations against us. And of course, we were reaching out to them, they're getting saved, but we had a couple come, and they had a daughter, and she was probably, I don't know, in her early 20s, but she had a withered hand. And his fingers were together like this, and she hadn't used that hand since she was a baby. And the Spirit of God moved one day, and we asked her, well, what happened to your hand? And she said, well, she said, when I was a baby in my mother's womb, a medicine man put a curse on me. And I was, you know, born like this, and so we prayed, and God brought that hand out and those fingers started opening up. And it was weak at first, but she had full movement of that hand. And she began to move it and work it until that hand was just as strong as that hand. Glory to God. And I don't say that to boast. I'm nothing, but I, I want to boast about what Jesus does because Jesus can set you free. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can deliver you. He can do lots of things. My wife was attacked. We, we went out and ministered in the midst of a nest of Jezebels. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe in Oklahoma you call them bell cows <laughs> or whatever. Some, a strong, domineering, more than just a strong-willed lady. My wife has a strong will, but as somebody that's taken on a spirit yes. that has become controlling and intimidating and dominating. It can be in a man as well as a woman to, to try to intimidate, dominate, manipulate other people for purposes of control. And anyway, these, uh, these, these ladies began to come against me because we were leading people to the Lord and they were getting saved and then they, it turned into a church. We didn't plan a church, but it turned into a church. And, and, and uh, they started calling me pastor and one lady comes in she says, you're not our pastor, you know. And I, and I said, I didn't even call myself pastor. I just, uh, but somebody's got to pastor these folks. And, 
and teach them, and, and we did. But in the process of responding wrong, she got uh, lumps in her breast, fibrocystic disease. And so we went to a spirit, we, we had a spirit-filled doctor in Farmington, and we went to this doctor, and he said, after he diagnosed, he, he took it, he said, no, let me take my doctor hat off and put my brother in the Lord hat on, and he says, and I want to tell you something, he says, you're responding wrong, maybe out of bitterness to some uh, attack, and he says, usually when I see this, I see oftentimes maybe a Jezebel spirit attacking you, and, and uh, he says, you're going to have to forgive them no matter what they do to you, and walk in the right spirit, and, and she did, but in the process, he assigned to her birth control pills, and the birth control pills gave her blood clots. And uh, one night she woke up, and she, her legs are aching, and, and she couldn't get any relief, and we prayed and prayed through the night, and so I took her to the hospital in Farmington, because we're way out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, I got her to the hospital and, and got her checked in, and and I said, I had to go back home because we had animals. And I said, I'm going to go home and feed the animals and, and I'll be back. And, and so I, I went to home to feed the animals. And on the way home, this word kept coming to me. And it was Mort. Mort. I said, Lord, I don't understand Mort. So when I got all the way home, I opened up the dictionary and I looked it up. And it's an ancient word for death. And then I got it. We need to rebuke the spirit of death. So I called her, and, and we really prayed, and we bound, and we came against the spirit of death until we felt and sensed we had a breakthrough and that she's going to live and not die. Amen. And so I was going to go back up there to the hospital the next morning, and uh, I, was, I was trying to get a little bit of sleep, and I hear a knock on the door. There's a Navajo woman that was in our congregation, her husband's sitting out in the pickup, and uh, he's, she says, uh, Pastor, will you pray for me? My heart's beating really fast, and it's beating like 180 be beats, or over 180 beats a minute real fast. And, and so I prayed for her, and God healed her. And I said, praise God, we're on a roll. God's going to heal Pam too. So we went back, and I went, got back up to the hospital, and we prayed through on it, and God healed her. Of course, the doctor said, well, now you're going to have to wear these support stockings the rest of your life. You're going to have to be on Coumadin, blood thinner, the rest of your life. And so we got out to the car from his office. She took the stockings off. Uh, we said, nope, nope, nope. We canceled that diagnosis. We, I prayed over her. We believed God. She's never had to put those stockings back on again. She's never had another problem. God totally healed her. God just healed her. Hallelujah. So God is a good God, and he's a healing God. He's a healing God. And all through the years, wherever we go, it seems like God likes to do miracles to get people's attention so that people will tell other people, so that people will get saved, so that he can grow his church and he can extend his kingdom. Yes. We had an 18-year-old girl come to our church in North Carolina when we first moved out there. And she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and, and a brain cancer that... Uh, had to be removed, and it was the size of a tennis ball inside her brain. And so that was on a Wednesday night. We believed God. We prayed for her. She went back to the doctor on Friday, and no tumor. God supernaturally healed that young woman. Praise God. God is such a good healing God.
And he can heal you. Whatever you're going through right now, God is so much bigger than that. There are no small or, or there are no big problems for Jesus, you know? I mean, just all of them are little problems for Jesus. And so whatever you need today, I believe you're going to get it. Yes. Amen? Amen? And so we, we, we submit to God and we're candidates for miracles. And then we stand against the devil. Now, when you, get, when you stand against the devil, there's something you're going to have to do. You're going to have to watch your thoughts. You're going to have to guard your thoughts. You got to guard your tongue. You got to use the word against him. Jesus used the word, and he used the word. Devil said, and Jesus said, devil said, and Jesus said, devil said, and Jesus said, devil fled. And you're going to have to use the word against him. Because his job description, the devil, it says resist the devil, his job description just goes right back to actually the Greek name for the devil, Diabolos. Dia through, bolos, ball, or to throw, because we throw a ball, we call it a, a, a ball, because it came from bolos, the word ball. And so what does he do? He takes a thought, and he hits your mind with it, and he hits your mind with it, and he hits your mind with it, and he hits your mind with it. We had a kid one time, he had a super ball, and he was throwing it against the window, and it bounced back, and he'd throw it against the window, and it bounced back, and then he'd throw a little harder, and bounce a little farther, and he threw a little harder, and it broke the window, and went through. And that's what the devil does. He keeps hitting you, and hitting you, and hitting you, and he hits you with that thought over and over, until he gets a little hole, and he says, well, maybe there is a little truth to that. And then he goes and he washes that thought all the way through till it forms a stronghold in your mind and you begin to think what he has put in there. And he'll put it in the first person so he'll deceive you into thinking that you thought it. In other words, he says, it's an I think this or I think that. I, I just warn our church, you know, I said, I had a little message, I think I'll. Because I've known so many people over the years, they just get up in the morning, they don't pray, they just say, well, I think I'll. I think I'll go here. I think I'll go there. I think I'll do this. I'll think I'll do that. So you've got to recognize these thoughts and filter every one of them through the Word of God. Because you know, when Jesus was in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4, it says that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. Can you imagine 40 days bomb, uh, the devil bombarding your mind with thoughts and trying to just get you to buy into his lie. But if Jesus had bought into one lie or given one little iota of doubt, he, wouldn't be, he, wouldn't have con he couldn't have conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave because it would have been a sin. But he never at one point gave in, not one time. He continued to stand against the devil and stand against the devil and stand against the devil and stand against the devil until the devil gave up. And that's what you've got to do if you're going to resist and you're going to be free is you're going to have to stand by faith against the devil and use the word of God and keep on resisting until the devil gives up. Because the Bible says that the devil left Jesus and he, and he left until an opportune time. He's going to come back again maybe at a time of weakness and try to hit you again. But if you keep standing... You will win. God has ordained that you're an overcomer and you do it by faith. As, as our pastor said today, you do it by faith. Yes, right. And so you keep on resisting. First of all, you keep on submitting. Every day you've got to have a quiet time. Every day you've got to su submit to the Lord. Every day you need to be in a word and in prayer. And then you keep on resisting. And you resist and you resist as long as you have to resist until it goes away and the, yes. and the desire is completely gone yes. and you're totally set free. I mean, God has set me free 
just from so many different things. It's amazing what he has done. And so you, it actually means to resist. This word actually means to do everything within your power against it. Everything within your power. Are you ready to do everything within your power? God is ready to do everything within his power by his mega grace if you are ready to do everything within your power to stand against it as well. God won't do what we won't work together with him to do, but he will do whatever we need done if we'll just call out to him and get his grace. And the last thing, of course, is we need to seek the Lord. You've got to fill the void. Just like Jesus said, Matthew, I think it's 12, verse 42, he said, The unclean spirit goes out of a man, and it wanders in dry places, seeking rest and finding none. And it comes back to the house from which it came, and finding it swept and garnished. It's all swept and nice and clean, but there's nothing in there. So he said, I'll move back in. And once one of them gets in, he opens up the door to the rest of his buddies, and they all start coming in. You can't leave one devil. You can't say, well, you know, I'll be partially obedient, and I'll just kind of enjoy a nice little victorious life. We've had guys that set free that they, 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 uh, started, they came to set free to get set free, but they didn't come to set free to fall in love with Jesus. And, and, the, and that's, you know, there's a lot of people, they want their problem fixed, but they don't want the problem fixer. You've got to want the problem fixer more than you just want your problem fixed. You've got to surrender to him totally and completely and, and fall in love with him. God is a need meeting God and he will bring us in at our point of need. But once he gets us, he wants all of us. And, and, and we've got to surrender to that. We've got to give ourselves completely to that. Well, you know, we find guys that if they don't want Jesus, though, they eventually don't continue to stand. They don't make it. You know, we find guys, they have, maybe are, they have problems and they want to be free, but then the wife kind of wants to live this kind of little, quiet, little, nice little life where we just go to church once a week on Sunday. If you've been an addict, you need to be in church every time the doors are open. If you've been an addict of anything and you're trying to stand and stay free, you need to support people around you that are going to be as radical for Jesus as you are so that the two of you can work together and fight this thing together. And so I encourage you if, you, if you have addiction or any kind of thing that you need prayer for today, I believe the Lord's going to set you free. If you have a healing that you need, I, oh, Jesus is the healer and I believe He's going to heal you. Whatever you need, I believe Jesus will meet your need by the power of His Spirit today as we pray for you. Is it okay if we... So if you want prayer today, would you come up? We want to pray for you. Are you struggling with anything?